0: When it's done right, compositing can be one of the most time consuming and challenging areas of photography, but it can open up a magical world of creativity as well. Today, I'm joined by composite artist James Popsis on this episode of Behind the Shot. Hi, once again, welcome to another episode of Behind the Shot. I'm your host, Steve Brazel. This is the podcast where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look Behind one of their shots from conception to completion, and all the challenges and choices that a photographer makes in between. Uh, as always, you can find out more about the podcast and find past episodes at thisweekinphoto.com. And today's episode will also have an associated blog post. So you'll be able to see more of the artist's work and links to find this artist anywhere you want to on social media or on the internet. So, with that in mind, let's move on to our guest today. Compositing is one of those things that I don't do. I mean, I've done it. I don't do it well. And the reason I don't do it well is because I'm probably the least patient person on earth. And to do compositing well, to do compositing really, in my opinion, the correct way, and I have friends who do this, and it just takes time and attention to detail. It's the old thing. You can mow your yard, but edging the yard makes it look good. And that's kind of the thing to me with compositing. I'd like to welcome James Popsis to the episode. Uh, How are you, James? I'm very well, thank you, Steve. How are you? I'm doing really, really good. I appreciate your coming on. You're UK based. Yeah. And in my notes, I have it that I was gonna introduce you as a UK based photographer and digital composite artist. And the more I think about it, I'm kind of curious how you describe what you do because you're not normal composites. You're almost, um, you're almost like stand-up comedy composites.
1: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've battled with uh, some sort of title for a long time now um, to the point where I've just given up, to be honest, I don't know what's gone off. So um, yeah, photographer, I accept along with, well, pretty much everything else to be honest.
0: So, but really that's what you, you do is digital composites. You take photos, you composite them together to make interesting stories. You had, I was looking through your description of yourself on your website, your about me page. And I love the way you describe it. You say that your shots are, you know, that, yes, these ridiculous shots are what I love to do. And that's so wonderful and so refreshing that there's an artist of your caliber out there that doesn't just take themselves so seriously. You know what I mean? Um, You're willing to have fun with it and understand that art is art.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think a lot of people, I, I kind of started off with photography, taking it fairly seriously. I mean, I, my, my journey in photography started when um, I started doing bits of travelling with my girlfriend back in probably 2009, 2010. Um, and at the time I was taking completely useless photos, pretty much. I mean, all of my photos consisted of photos of my girlfriend um, stood right in the middle of the frame with a, a smile, with a, a monument that we couldn't pronounce in the background that we'd, we'd never remember the details of. Uh, and that was, that was pretty much all the images that I have um, and slowly I, I kind of became a bit fed up with that being the case. And as I did more and more traveling over time, I decided that, you know, I should dedicate a bit more time to to taking some photos. So that's really what I did. I, I picked up a, a, um, a, a, I guess, a point and shoot camera, but it was a point and shoot camera um, that had manual controls and it didn't have a particularly bright lens. Um, it didn't have a particularly big sensor. So I couldn't do an awful lot with it creatively, but it was my first sort of inlet into... What was possible with photography. Uh, Fast forward a few months I got back to the UK and moved to London with my girlfriend um, and I was spending my weekends uh, going out trying to get kind of unique original um, images.
0: Which in London by the way is not super easy because everything in London has been photographed every way from Sunday.
1: Yeah well absolutely I mean the the first um, you know the first couple of weekends that I was trying it I, I had my hopes held very high. But as you say, in, in any city full of 10 million people, um, and a, you know, an increasing percentage of those people have access to some kind of camera also. Um, I just found it very difficult to to find any kind of unique perspectives, particularly you know, as a, a novice at that point, I didn't really know what I was doing with the camera. I was, I was kind of shooting what I saw. Um, and it got to a point where, you know, I'd, I'd find something that I thought was relatively uh, unique, or I certainly hadn't seen it before on Facebook or Flickr. Or- wherever else um and i'd kind of get my tripod out i'd i'd set up a shot check my exposure i'd check my composition and then all of a sudden i'd look up and there were two other photographers taking exactly the same shot and setting up for for exactly the same stuff with pretty much the same gear and it was at that point that i kind of became a bit disillusioned you know i'm um i've always thought of myself as a fairly creative person but i've never really um uh, until compositing came along, I've never really found an outlet for that creativity. I'm, I'm a useless musician. I, I, I can't dance. I can't paint. Um, so photography, from the start, I, I was kind of hoping that it was going to be this um, this outlet for my my creativity. Um, and luckily, you know, at about the point that I became uh, quite quickly fed up with how difficult it was to to be original, and it gave me a, a real fresh perspective and, and respect for all photographers, really. Finding um i discovered layer masks in photoshop which which pretty much overnight changed everything because all of a sudden i discovered that you know the the bounds of possibilities were were just in my mind not not purely location not purely the places that i could visit you know i I could i could change those locations and i could make you know unlimited
0: decisions on what i want those images to look like Um, so at this point and first of all, let me go back. You said you've only been photographing since like 2010? Yeah, yeah. Wow, wow. So when you, when you move into this understanding layer masks, it immediately clicked compositing. But again, a lot of people understand layer masks and, and don't do compositing well. We've all seen those images online. So when you made this trend, when the light bulb went off in your head is a good way to word it, right? You're walking down the street and you, you suddenly realize layer masks exist and, and you see ocean, mountain. Hey, let's combine the two. I'm assuming, though, at that point, there was a pretty big learning curve, even if you knew Photoshop to get good at, at combining.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, my first, I'd say my first hundred attempts. Uh, uh, any kind of composite was, was awful. Uh, You know, I was, I was replacing horrible wet uh, London streets with, you know, tropical blue skies that made no sense because the shadows didn't work and, you know, the light, it was, they were awful. Um, But over time, you know, those, those images become slightly better as, as with any other kind of photography, I guess. Um, And, you know, lots of, Lots of weekends um, spent practicing and and going out and obviously taking my own photos and using my own assets, but also um, to speed up the process of practice, I'd I'd use stock images or I'd use any other kinds of images I could get my hands on um, to learn kind of the the tricks of the trade. I mean, it's it's interesting that you say um, light bulb moments because I've been asked a few times, you know, when when was a light bulb moment for for so and so image and the truth is I, d- I don't know what it's like for anybody else in in the creative field but i personally have never had um what you'd call a, a light bulb moment you know all my ideas and all my um images come from a, a process of iteration of, of you know weeks or, or months really you know if i if i have an outline of an idea it's really quite tempting a lot of the time to try and act on that idea and to to get to work straight away to go and you know, heading to the mountain to collect or, or wherever I might need to go to to make an image but um, I, I try and fight that urge as much as possible because I know that an idea typically strengthens over time um, and it, you know the more you think about it the more you think about locations for it the more you think about what kind of light you might like all those kinds of things um, so it's it's yeah it's always tempting to to act on any idea that you have um, straight away but I do I do like to kind of Let ideas cook for as long as uh, for as long as I think they possibly can.
0: So if you haven't had a light bulb moment and you assemble these over a long period of time with multiple iterations, was there, there there wasn't even a light bulb moment as you were doing iterations where it was like, yeah, I can do this. I mean, was it all experimentation at first? And there was a point where you realized, yeah, this is what I'm meant to do. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean I, I think um, you know, with any any given image, a lot of the time, you know, when I it, it's typically I, I you know, I say process of iteration and, and being patient, but there always comes a point where you think, now's the time. Um, if I don't start work on it now, I'll I'll get completely bored of the idea and I want to move on to something else. And and typically when you do that, the the first age of gathering assets never really goes to plan. Either you don't get the weather, um, you don't get the location quite right. There's a a roadblock and the, the portion of a street that you want to shoot, you know, all those kinds of things. And so an idea typically strengthens, um, as you go through kind of the, the stage two, three, four, and five of, of trying to grab the assets too.
0: trying, trying to tweak it, which, you know, and, and I've told this story before and on the twip episode, uh, or, or a recent something I did with, with Frederick and my friend, Troy Miller, we discussed this one issue where Renee Robin, who's an amazing composite artist had mm. looked at one of Troy's pictures and immediately went, Oh, you swapped out the sky. I mean, literally, she grabbed the phone and within two seconds, Oh, you swapped out the sky. And, and he was like, uh, maybe, <laughs> but she immediately saw what you're talking about, which is why I want to really get into this shot today because you've got that ability looking at this shot to describe to people how to improve their composite photography. And a lot Mm. of it is what you just said that it, you know, iteration process that you go through. So let's bring the shot up. The name of the shot is zone three, three, four. Explain that to me.
1: Yeah. So for for anyone that's ever been to uh, London, um, the chances are that you spent your time or or a big percentage of your time in London on the, uh, the underground network or on some, some version of the, the public transport in London, the public transport in London, as far as I'm concerned, is, is brilliant to a point where it makes absolutely no sense to, to own a car.
0: Um, I, I've been there and I've got to agree. There's nothing I've ever been on anywhere like the tube.
1: Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I mean, it's not, you know, you do have your gripes, it's not air conditioned and at rush hour, it's, it's really not pleasant at all. Um, but basically the, the, the fare system, is split into I think nine zones. Um, So you start in in central London, which is zone one. uh, Then if you go out to zone two, that'll cost you a little bit more money. Um, And it goes all the way to zone nine, which is sort of probably an hour, hour and a half outside of central London. Um, And the idea behind zone three, three, four is basically that I, um, I grew up in Wales, which is probably as the crow flies, 250 miles from London. And I used to go home a fair amount, both to shoot and to see my parents, see other members of family, see some friends. And as I say, the transport system in London is fantastic, until you have lots of luggage. Um, I wouldn't wish on my worst enemy, you know, to to drag three suitcases through the hot, stuffy Victorian tunnels of the tube uh, and then to have to get on two buses or to get to the train station where you get your train, you know, 250 miles or wherever you happen to be going in the country. So the the idea or the name of zone 334 came from um, a concept of wishing that the tube just went on forever and that you could get on with your three suitcases and not have to get off, not have to change three trains and two buses to get to your destination. So, I mean, if, if that was a reality, the I mean, it, it would still be horrible. You know, the, the tube is a, a loud, dark, slow um, journey, but it would probably, I think, be a bit more bearable than trying to lug, I don't know, 50, 60 pounds up flights of stairs to, uh, to rush to get your next train. So.
0: Well, and that's the thing. The tube is fantastic if you're already in London and yes. you want to go somewhere, but if you land at Heathrow And you've got luggage and you need to get to a hotel. Inevitably, you're going to be walking down city streets, pulling luggage behind you sometimes for a little bit of time. Uh, So, yeah, yeah, I totally get what you mean. So this image, obviously composite, right? You've got the underground tunnel going in and you're in the mountains. Where, where is this background at?
1: So this is a place um, in Snowdonia national park in the, the North of Wales. Um, It's, it's a, you know, beautiful national park. It's it's got some of the UK's highest mountains. I mean, on the worldwide scene, they they don't really scratch the surface, but they're kind of the highest peaks are three four thousand feet. So not they're not tiny, but they're not not big by any measure. But the the scenery is incredible. Um, and this this shot was taken um, just near a lake called Lake Cravenant. Uh, and to be honest, the backstory to the the background image here couldn't be more boring. I mean, it was a nice. Um, spring walk. And I, I kind of just happened across the scene. Um, and as far as gathering background images goes, I mean, this, this example was it um, was an example of an image that I had a rough idea for uh, before I started it. So typically half the time, um, if I see a, a nice looking kind of scene that I think would be um, good for a composite, then I'll shoot it without necessarily having a, an idea.
0: Um, Almost in to mind. build in your in own case, stock library.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. In this case, I, I did have an idea in mind, but regardless of whether you do or you don't have a an idea in mind for, for any kind of background image, um, it's important to to take a number of exposures, uh, a number of different focal lengths, um, and try and kind of tweak the compositions as you do it, because you want to kind of, you want your library to be as, as full as possible um, and to be as flexible as possible. You know, the, the last thing you want is to have a a, a brilliant background image, and you can't use it because for whatever reason you want to place um uh, some kind of object in the in the middle of it and and you don't have the right focal length or you've overexposed a shot or you've you've not focused on the right point.
0: So yeah, um, that's interesting to me because I know people who do that, right? They're walking, oh, I'm gonna need that texture, or I'm gonna need that background. Yeah. It never hit me that you get it, and it's like, oh, I'm gonna use this someday. And then you pull it up and it doesn't, it doesn't match the compression, the the whatever. Of shooting it so you carry multiple lenses with you just to be safe absolutely or or a single zoom and you zoom in and out
1: yeah so typically my my go-to would be something like a a 24 to 70 and and typically what i would do is um a picture on on all the marked points of the lens so you know 24 35 50 70 um i'd then kind of make sure that i was um focused on a, a number of parts in the scene for each of those focal lengths. Um, And I'd probably bracket for
0: good measure to make sure that I wasn't blowing any highlights. So at 24, you'll shoot multiple brackets and at 24, you'll shoot multiple focal depths. Absolutely. So you could end up just at 24 with 10 shots and then at, you know, 34, 10 shots. And then at 70, 10 shots so that you've got a wide selection of background. Do you, do you know your exposure on this background by chance?
1: uh oh that's a good question um if you don't it's no but no big deal no no i don't think so i mean it would have been typically i I aim to have a a aperture around f8 um because you know i don't want really shallow depth of field particularly when i don't know what what kind of subject i'm going to be sticking in the middle of a a scene um
0: yeah do you tend to do you tend to expose dead on do you tend to underexpose to give you leeway well, that's that's
1: where the bracketing comes in. You know, typically, a, a, a lot of the time, particularly in recent images, I've I've got more into um, luminosity masks, um, which is basically HDR, but taking more control of the process yourself in Photoshop, um, and having having more control over what's blended and, and how it's blended and, and how strong the effect is. So,
0: and, and um, what body do you shoot?
1: So this this image in particular, this was taken. Um, back in I want to say 2014, 2015, on a an original um, Olympus OMD EM5, um, and I used I think for this shot actually I I would have had a number of primes with me because this particular shot was on a um, a pancake 20 millimeter um, f 1.7 lens. So altogether it was probably um, as a system weighed no more than a, a standard compact or point and shoot really
0: is that what you shoot so, now olympus
1: no so now well uh, i'm in the the process of transitioning um back to micro four thirds from uh nikon fx okay All right. so it's been a yeah I've, I've kind of meandered through many systems photographers have um, and I'm going back to micro four thirds just because the bodies I think have come on leaps and bounds in the last few years. Um, and so have the lenses too. And there's a, now that, you know, weather sealing is available across bodies and lenses, um, having the option to be able to lug an enormous amount of gear up um, a mountain without really doing your back any harm is uh, is very appealing to me. And I, I typically don't shoot often in, in low light for the kind of thing I do. Um, so the sensor size has never really worried me too much either. So...
0: I think I've got a friend who hikes in this area periodically because I see him put pictures up there, Anthony D'Angio. And and based on his pictures, beautiful area. But that brings us to the main subject matter. You've got in the middle of nowhere in Wales, a London subway tunnel. And the detail in this subway tunnel is killer. I mean, you can zoom in and you can read the sign. You can. It's just amazing what you did with that. Was this shot at the same time with the same camera? Was it shot at a different time? Did you, do you worry, you know, if you shot the other one on the OMD and you shot this one on a 70 to 200, uh, you know, Nikon D5, does that matter to you?
1: So, so typically the only things that matter are the, the, the elements of an image that make a composite work are um, perspective and uh, type and direction of light so perspective is hugely important you know the angle of your camera um the focal length those kinds of things really make a difference and uh, regardless of
0: whether it's full frame micro four-thirds doesn't matter as long as the effective focal length and stuff kind of pair up
1: yeah absolutely so for a number of years now i've I've kind of been shooting both on on micro four-thirds and full frame so as long as you have the effective focal lengths in mind it's it's never too much of an issue but yeah perspective is is hugely important but also um the The type and direction of light is is massive you know if you have um soft light in one image and and hard light in another it it won't look realistic and if you have you know the the sun beaming from the left of an image in in one of the images and and coming from completely the opposite direction in another it just won't look the shadows will look odd your your mind is you know regardless of your experience at looking at pictures you know we've we've all been hugely experienced in in looking at images through through life and our you know our, um, what's the word, our exposure to media. And so very quickly, you know, you pick up on something that doesn't look particularly natural. Um, for the for the tube image, um, I don't know if I mentioned that the, the background image in Wales, I, I took around Easter time, I think it was, yeah, I guess early early spring. For the tube image, I had to wait until pretty much the middle of summer of that same year because as, as anyone that's been to London will know, getting a, an image of a tube station like that, that doesn't have uh, direct sunlight hitting it, but also isn't full of people is, um, is a bit of a challenge. So I had two options, really. I could, I could go of an evening or a, maybe a weekend morning to the tube station, set up a tripod and take 100 exposures and try and blend out all the people that would be entering the station or leaving.
0: And then um, correcting or- the light
1: absolutely yeah absolutely or um what i chose to do was um wait till the height of summer um get up at sort of 4 a.m on a, a sunday morning to the station for for sunrise which i think that time of year is probably 5 five thirty a.m and uh and wait for for people not to be in the way of the shot and there are still a fair few people around in central london at you know 5 a.m on a sunday morning. You um. I guess for some people, it's still sat in it. So you see some sights, I can tell you. So that gave
0: me entertainment while I was
1: waiting for the right light.
0: Well, but that, okay, that's interesting. So, first of all, let me ask this in this foreground subway tunnel, were there people that you had to clone out or were you able to get the shot like it sits here?
1: Yeah, I was able to get the shot, luckily. I mean, I still, I still had to bide my time. Um, but, you know, realistically, in a city like London, um, that is pretty much the only time of day on on the only day of the week, Sunday, um, at the only time of year that I would've got that shot.
0: When, um, when you shot this, did you have it in your head that you were gonna put it in this background?
1: Yes. yes. Okay. So by, this time, by this time, the idea had kind of come to fruition and I'd realized that I'd have to wait a couple more months um, in order to get that
0: shot. So you go, see, and here's what's interesting to me, okay? So, cause you walk around London and there's tube tunnels everywhere, right? Tube entrances everywhere. Um, but it's that matching of the light. So, okay, it's five 30 in the morning and it's sunrise, but the sun has to be coming from an angle because you know, you're going to drop this into this grass facing you. It does, you no good to take the picture of the back of a, of a tube station. So, you know, you're going to face it this way. You can see which way the light is going in the background, which is really nicely diffused from those clouds. By the way, the background is that are the clouds substituted?
1: No, the, the clouds are, the clouds are real. The clouds are there.
0: Beautiful then. Absolutely beautiful. Um, so do you, do you walk around London going which tube station is going to be pointing down the street in the right direction so that when the light comes up, it hits it from this angle or, or you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. I mean, uh, I got somewhat lucky with the background shot in that um, as you say, you know, it was a, a reasonably blue sky day, certainly for Wales, but there were clouds about. And I was shooting at a time when the sun was behind the clouds, which meant there was really, really soft light because some of those clouds were, were, were really quite heavy. And that meant that I could kind of take my pick of um, any scenario in London where I found soft light on a tube station, which right. I knew would be the case at kind of 5 a.m. on a Sunday morning because the sun wouldn't have got over the buildings. Um, so I was ba- essentially shooting in in you know, the shade of the buildings. Uh, but there was still enough light there to, to make it look realistic, you know. There was no, no harsh shadows from sunlight in either of the images, um, which which made it possible to, to kind of create a realistic image. How do you have, you know, if you're having to deal with really harsh shadows from sunlight, then automatically
0: you're making quite a lot of it for yourself. Right, right, which makes sense. But when you But when you go into the streets of London, and you're, you're setting up and you've already got the picture in your head. I'm going to drop this into this landscape. How do you remember? I mean, do you have notes going light needs to be coming from this angle? Do you just remember it in your head? Do you have the photo on your phone so that you can look at a tube station, hold your phone up and, and, and kind of go, yeah, that will work. Yeah.
1: I, I always have. Um, so those, those images that I've, I've taken, um, image the a version of every single focal length on my phone um so i can kind of flick through them and by eye i can kind of assess whether or not it's going to work or not and it kind of it takes some time and, and some practice to kind of get the hang of whether it, it will work or not um, and you can you know you can use references along the frames kind of work out where things are, are going to sit in the frame um, it needs take some practice. I mean, I've possible to you know create some kind of app or something to almost overlay Finder uh, on top of an image that you've previously taken because that would make things. That would so be nice. Easier.
0: That would be almost yeah. like a green live green screen, blue screen effect. So so that would you mentioned layer masks in Photoshop. So obviously you're doing yeah. your composites in Photoshop. Is that the only app that you use in post?
1: I use Lightroom as well, so I'll I'll kind of I'll go into Lightroom first or or sometimes camera raw and just make basic corrections before I, I start compositing. Typically the image when I've started compositing doesn't really look like the final image in terms of you know, I haven't done any kind of and um, quite often I haven't even corrected white balance or anything like that. Um but I've corrected things like distortions and I've removed things like um, Well. Then and the color I correction in, is,
0: oh, I'm sorry, go ahead.
1: That's okay. Um, and then when I'm in, um, uh, when I finished in Photoshop, I can go into Lightroom and, and work on the images, a single layer um, and kind of, enhance any other colors that I need to, that I haven't done in in Photoshop. And the reason that I don't want to go um, too heavy in in Lightroom with the individual images before I get to to Photoshop is that I want to make sure I've got a a kind of a almost a blank canvas in in terms of um, color, because, you know, the color correction of the individual images needs to be matched. Um, quite closely between the images. And it's just much easier to do that when you're working
0: with layers in Photoshop, which was my, which was the question I was about to ask. And that is whether you get the same kind of light, meaning soft, hard, whatever color temperature, isn't going to match between this hillside and downtown London. So how do you match the tone, white balance color? uh, How do you do that? I mean, uh, it's the, beauty, the helicopter view, obviously you can't teach it right now, but you know what I mean? What, what's your helicopter approach to getting the colors of two composite images, whether they be a subway station in, in this or you took a studio shot of somebody on a seamless white background and you lit them a certain way to try and match this and you want to drop them into the field?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's the beauty of um Adjustment layers in Photoshop, and um, within those, you know. Uh, so I'll typically say we've we've got an image like this, which um, primarily is comprised of, of two basic images. You've got the the background, which is the mountains and the hills, and you've also got the the tube station. And between those layers, I will basically have a a load of um, adjustment layers, which are only affecting what's below them. So they'll only be affecting the background image, um, and then on top of the, the tube station image, I'll have a load of adjustment layers um, that will be clipped to the, the tube image. And therefore they will only be affecting the tube image. Um, and therefore you can, you can make adjustments with, with color, saturation, um, the, the tone curve, all kinds of things um, on a layer by layer basis.
0: Is, is that generally what you use is color, saturation, tone curve, or do you just go to tone curve on different channels?
1: Um, sometimes it, it, it really depends. I, I, I'm still very much in a, a process of um, experimenting. To be honest, I wouldn't say I've, I've settled on a um, any kind of work in terms of really delving into to Photoshop. Just because different things seem to work um, in different situations. You know, sometimes I can get away with having one adjustment layer for each each layer, and, and that might be you know levels, or it might be you know brightness or contrast. Um, other times I'll have kind of 10, 11, 12 adjustment layers for each image. Uh, it, it really depends and it really depends um, how good a job I've done in the field as well. Um, you know, have a, if I've been in a rush, I might not have exposed correctly for some images. Um, if, if the scene has been time dependent, you know, if I can see the sun's about to come out or um, there's a subject's going to be kind of walking past the frame or whatever it might be. Um, if I'm in a rush, typically what that leads to is is more work in post.
0: And and most of your images, unlike some people that do, you know, very uh, artsy fantasy worlds where they can color anything mm-hmm. what they want, yours are all, or at least most that I've seen, are real world scenes, the Big Ben, you know, something like that attire yeah. that need to have some reality in their color so that that matching is is critical. I mean, almost like product photography, because so many people have seen big Ben or the red and yeah. blue on a, on an underground station. So here's imagine for me, if you would, <laughs> you're standing on a stage in front of a bunch of people and someone raises their hand and says, I've never done composites. What's your one tip that will get me started and not be frustrated. Because when I look at this picture, one of the things that immediately hits me about compositing obviously is masking, right? Layer masks is what we Mm -hmm. kind of started this conversation with. And if you zoom in on this picture, you must have painstakingly pixel by pixel gone in and masked this because the grass comes up in front of the tube station. You can see the grass through the wrought iron bars. I mean, the detail with which you cut that train station out and dropped it into this background and blended the background in with it with grass wheat is amazing. So this person in the audience says, I want to try doing this. I want to do my experimentation. What, what checkbox would you give me to make it easier on myself and get me started?
1: Um, I'd, I'd probably say one thing for, for each of the three steps of the process. So the, the first step is is the idea. And I think I've already talked about the, the process of iteration, kind of um, letting an idea cook, basically, you know, when you have an idea, understand that over a process of weeks, of you kind of thinking about that in the shower or on the way to work or wherever it might be, the idea inevitably will get a stroke. Um, when you do move into to grabbing the assets, do your best to kind of get hold of um, as many perspectives as, as you possibly can to make sure that when you go into um, the editing stage, you've got all that you need. It's just a case of finding them and, and matching them together. Um, and then when you get into editing, and I think this is true of all kinds of photography, not just compositing. I think it's important when you're working with an image to tackle it in kind of small chunks of time. You know, I think we've all spent, um, hours in front of a a computer in in Lightroom editing an image, without realising that over that period of time you're kind of you're becoming a bit numb to it, and you're you're not seeing it in the same way that somebody who's seeing it for the first time would see it. Um, so you can go way too far with the car or, you know, you, you might change it beyond recognition without even realizing it just because you've been pushing sliders and and changing layers and all sorts of things for too long. So um, I'd say with editing, it, it's important that, you know, every every hour that you might be sat editing an image, that you, you give yourself some time away from the screen so that every so often you can come back to the computer with, with a fresh pair of eyes. Um, otherwise you might end up with a result that, that doesn't look realistic. And at the end of the day, certainly with my work, that's, um, that's always the goal.
0: Interesting. I, I wish I could do what you do, but for me, the biggest part is the vision. You're looking through your portfolio. I see stuff that I just am like, I can't believe I didn't think of it, but I, don't, I just don't see it until I see it. I yeah. mean, you're one with uh, the London eye as the wheel. I dig that shot. And the other one is your Wi-Fi image, yeah. which I don't even have to describe it. Trust me. If you go to, if you go to James's website, you'll know it immediately. First of all, I think it's one of the early ones in the portfolio, but it's just this hand reaching wantingly for a Wi-Fi image that's made of clouds. It's I love it. It's absolutely brilliant. What you do, if people want to see your work, where do they go?
1: Yeah. So they can head over to uh, and and they can find links there to, you know, the usual, the usual places I've I've, I'm on Instagram and um, in the last year or so I've started a YouTube channel, which I'm really enjoying. So on there, I I tackle things like uh, gear reviews and I do bits and bobs of of tutorials as well. And then one of the videos I'll be gallivanting around trying to hunt for, for images for, for um, concepts. So, yeah, I cover a variety of things on, on YouTube, mostly about photography um, and sometimes about my stupid decisions and mistakes, too. So, yeah, Which is little...
0: actually how people can really learn. I mean, you're going to learn a lot from somebody else sharing where they went wrong. That's one of the best lessons. So it's James uh, right, Facebook yeah. and YouTube, it's James Popsis photo. Instagram and Twitter, it's just James Popsis. And James, I can't say thanks enough, man. I really appreciate your stopping by and, and sharing some some knowledge with us.
1: Me too. Thank you very much for having me, Steve. It's been good fun.
0: Yeah, it definitely has. So again, I'm your host, Steve Brazzle. This is Behind the Shot, the show where we try and get inside the mind of great photographers by taking a closer look behind one of their shots. If you have any questions, you can always reach out to me on social media. It's pretty much Steve Brazel everywhere except uh, Facebook It's Steve Brazzle Photography. But the easiest way is you can go to thisweekinphoto.com, use the contact page there, click the link for Behind the Shot there. You can subscribe to the podcast. And then if you do, make sure you drop us a review in iTunes or something as well. And all our past episodes are on This Week in Photo as well. Until next time, we'll see you. Hey there, I'm Frederick Van Johnson. Thanks for checking out the TWIP Network on YouTube. If you'd like to keep up to date with the shows we're putting out, be sure to click subscribe. And while you're at it, give us a thumbs up. You can also subscribe on thisweekinphoto.com where you'll find lots of other great photography shows. Thanks for watching the TWIP Network on YouTube.